I, you know, I just love the fact that, that, that we have this possibility, that we're connected. In fact, last Sunday, that's kind of a little bit that I, I shared with you, is the fact that God has created us in such a way as human beings that there is this dynamic that, that we love being connected and that we have a God that wants to be connected with us. I, I'll never forget my summers of my elementary school years and junior high years, even high school years, because it was those summers that mom and dad sent me to church camp. Anybody attend church camp? Raise your hand for just a moment. Okay, and it was at church camp at Victory Cove. Church of the Nazarene Church Camp uh, on the Intermountain District that we would go to church camp and and on the evenings of camp or late after dinner after the chapel service we would have this time around the bonfire there's this big fire pit would have this time around the bonfire that was called Mel Roll Call Time. In fact, you can imagine the fire burning. They had this big bonfire, and the fire was up against the lake. And if the wind wasn't blowing, you could see the lake there. The water was still as a mirror, and you could see the reflection of the flames there in the lake. And, and then the director would come out, and we'd be sitting on these benches in a big semicircle. And the director would come out, and he'd make all these kinds of statements and gets the kids to laugh. But then he'd bring out his stack of mail for mail roll call. Now, it was a time back then that that moms, usually moms, sometimes girlfriends, that they'd have fun with the roll call time. Because what the camp director would do is the director would stand in front of, a, you know, the whole group of campers there by the bonfire late at night. And he wouldn't just hand out the mail, but he'd read the name that's on the mail. And then he'd make a big to-do about it. And oftentimes moms knew what was going on. And so they'd send a letter to their boy that was in a pink envelope. Maybe she'd put lipstick on her lips and kiss the envelope. And all the director would say, oh, this is for uh, so-and-so and he'd smell the envelope and he'd say, oh, it smells like perfume and all the kids would giggle and they'd all laugh and, and you were kind of hoping that your name wasn't called but kind of you were hoping that it was. And I loved it because underneath it all, I mean, underneath the experience, we just love the fact that there's somebody back home that, that loves us enough that they stay connected. And I love that dynamic about our Savior, about our Jesus, is that our Jesus, he desires to be connected with us. In fact, I, I alluded to it just a little bit last Sunday as I, I was talking about the creator of heaven and earth. And, and imagine that that creator desires to be connected to us. And that's why we come to the Word of God this morning. In fact, it's it's Second Corinthians, if you have God's Word. Second Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verses 1 through 4, that, 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 of course, the Apostle Paul is writing. And this is just one of 13 epistles that he contributes to, of course, the canonized Scripture, the Word of God. And I, I doubt he knew that that whole formal process was going to take place, you know. This whole canonization thing and, and, and that he was just being obedient as he's writing to a group of people, a church or maybe an individual and, and he was being the mouthpiece for God and he was speaking. And so I imagine it being a letter, kind of like that letter sent there at camp, that this was, these are the words of God. And that God desires to be connected with us. And He's connecting with us through His Holy Word. And, and, and it makes me wonder, I mean, if this is, if this is really how it is, then I, I'm wondering, if God were to write you a letter, Cheryl, what would He, what would He say to you in that letter? Or if God were, you know, to write you a letter, Dan, 
What would be God, what would God be writing to you specifically or for you back there or you back there? I mean, don't you think that maybe possibly that God would would be writing a little bit maybe about the authority of Jesus Christ? Maybe writing to us a little bit about the fact that this is God's effort in becoming flesh and dwelling among us, that that there is some authority to the to the life and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so Paul is kind of, you know, reminding them of this. This is the story. So I want to invite you to listen as as Paul responds in, in this passage this morning in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 11, looking at verses 1 through 4, and he really uses tact. As we look at the text here, he really uses, you know, really the tact like that of a j- jealous gentleman caller because, you know, because he's saying Man, something's happening here. In fact, let's read it together. Second Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, which is interesting, I mean, in our culture today, thinking about this, I mean, those things that tempt us as as far as our loyalties go, our faith. If somebody comes to you and preaches to you a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Precious Father, I pray for your anointing upon this word this morning. I pray, Father, that you will be Glorified that you'll be lifted as we are reminded of Christ and his role, the authority of Christ in our life and and Lord, even the authority of the word of God. I pray, Father, that in this this moment this morning, this time that we spend together as your families, the congregation, that you'll be glorified. Thank you for this word. I pray your your blessing upon it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's God's people said, amen. Now, again, he's tactful in, in, in really saying, okay, I want to talk about the hypocrisy among you. And he does, doesn't use that word. But, but he's very tactful in the way that he approaches it, talking about the fact that, that you were committed to something once. I mean, at one time you understood this. This is the truth that I, I share with you. I taught to you. I taught you about Jesus Christ. But something is changing. There's something that is started to shift your thinking, and so Paul's kind of addressing this, and it's interesting, because it was really quite a challenge, even even then, at that time, to step out and have faith in Christ, for we know that, of course, Christianity started out as a, a Jewish movement with a Jewish Savior, but it fast becomes largely a Gentile endeavor. In fact, most of the congregation that Paul sends letters to there towards the end of the search, the last century there, the first century, is more Gentile than it's not. And, and I say these things for two reasons. For, first off, just as it was countercultural to follow the way, of course it was spoken of as the way, not Christianity, but the way at that time, just as it was countercultural to follow the way for a Jewish person, I mean, those that come came from an Orthodox Jewish family to say, OK, I'm going to follow this idea about Christ. The way was was 
literally to, to reject the family or, or to be rejected by your family, maybe even be excommunicated. And just as it was difficult for those that were Jewish, it was difficult for Gentiles to have a blind faith as well because this was a time of intellectualism, a time when most people were fairly open-minded and, and they, they were to follow maybe the, the intellect of, of the day. In fact, that's the second thing that I want to mention is these were a people that were bombarded by every kind of pagan religion that you can imagine. And so Christianity, it was fairly new. I mean, it didn't have the roots like it has today. And so you can imagine the temptations that abounded, you know, uh, among and around the Christians at this time. So these are the reasons that Paul says he is jealous of these other outside influences, because something was, you know, affecting their their thinking. Something was affecting their thinking. I mean, think about it for a moment. I'm wondering if, or what would Paul, how would Paul respond to tolerance? I mean, what would he write about that this morning, in this day, in this culture? How would Paul respond to that, that concept, that idea, as we, we think of, of, of the word this morning, God's word? This passage, there's some terminology there that, that alludes to marriage at a time when arrangements for marriage were made. It was the norm at that time, just as, as God arranges his plan and arranges that we have relationship with our Father in heaven and that Jesus Christ would become flesh and would die on the cross for us and, and that we'd have everlasting life and this opportunity to have relationship with our Father in heaven. So we're, we're heavy in the text this morning, but then look at verse 3 and 4. It goes a little bit deeper. I mean, if we're thinking about it for a moment, what, what is he saying here this morning? The Apostle Paul, he goes a little bit deeper. How easily our minds betray our faith. How easily our minds betray our faith. I mean, this maybe is part of spiritual pride. You know, this idea, I can do this. I can think this through. I can intellectually understand. And, and in fact, the temptation is if we cannot really marry our intellect and our logic with what theology tells us, then, then oh, maybe we're going to, you know, change things so that it's maybe a little bit more palatable, a little bit more easy so that we, we might, you know, process it in a way that we understand. And so... What happens in our spiritual pride, we betray our heart of hearts and we show where self kind of becomes the one that's sitting on the throne instead of the authority of God that is to sit on the throne. James says, he writes, you know, that one cannot have two masters. You can't be, you know, loyal to both at the same time. You know, you're either faithful to the one and not the other, faithful to the other and, and not the one. But yet somehow in our minds, we, we find ourselves sometimes challenged or, or led astray. And we, we start thinking somehow, you know, I can justify this this once or, you know, somehow I can compromise and I can, you know, adjust it just this once. And so a little bit more happens and we go down the, the rabbit trail or the bunny trail a little bit further. Or maybe we think, well, somehow we're letting ourselves listen to the one that really does not have our best interests of heart instead of listening to the one, the one that has our best interest at heart. And so we start making decisions by these influences and this culture and the world among us rather than decisions that are based upon the authority of the word of God. I call it unholy decision making. And maybe that's a part of it. You know, maybe something like that is stirring, you know, Paul's heart deeply. I love what one pastor said. He said it like this. He asks, 
is it possible that we have an authority problem? (laughs) Is it possible that we have an authority problem? You know, the kind of thing that we see in the very beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and, and God says, okay, here are the boundaries. I mean, you, you have all of this. You have access to all of this, but you do not have access to this. This is the boundary. And so our first parents, they look at that, and they are living there, and then all of a sudden, the serpent comes along, the enemy comes along, and begins to influence their thinking, and they say, they decide, okay, we're going to cross the boundary. We're going to cross the boundary and we are going to become the final authority in life. We are going to decide what's right or wrong. And so this, this humanity begins to seep in and, and all of a sudden there are the lines that are beginning to be blurred. And, and, and folks, the, the cool thing is, even though we cross the boundary sometimes, God, he still loves us. He still loves us. And it just is so amazing that, that God loves us even though we, we mess up and things get blurred and we forget the boundaries. But we have this God that is an amazing God that he still loves us. It's good to remember the boundaries. I, on the lighter side, because this is pretty heavy stuff that I'm talking about, but on the lighter side, it's like this husband was talking to his buddy. And he said, yeah, when we got married, we agreed I'd make all the major decisions. My wife would make the minor decisions. His friend said, how's that working out for you? He said, well, we've been married 20 years and I haven't made a major decision yet. <laughs> it's good, you know, no boundaries, right? But yet, you know, we, we push it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Go with me there. I, I believe we have it on the screen here. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And looking there at verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? I mean, think of all <clears throat> the different ways that can be applied. I mean, thinking about your faith. Or, or what fellowship can light have with darkness. And then we go to the next one, Second Corinthians 6.14. Look at that. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I mean, so how do we respond, church? How do we, you know, reverse the facts if there's maybe an influence in, in our thinking That's what the Apostle Paul was concerned about, influences in our thinking that's moving us away from center, you know, plumb line, away from truth. And so how how do you how do you preserve, you know, what it is that God has called us? And and one is that 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 we become a fan of truth. Hallelujah. I mean, if anybody of all people that should be a fan of truth, it should be the church of Jesus Christ. So we become a fan of truth. The second way we respond is we trust in God's authority. Easier said than done. You know, we trust in God's authority. You see, the first parents, they said, no, we're going to be final authority. So we trust in God's authority. I mean, how how easy? What did I say? How easily our minds, our minds betray our faith. Second thing, how easy, how easily we transform our Jesus. Sometimes the Jesus we think we are following, we think is like the Jesus of the Bible. Yet somehow, listen to this now, bear with me, church. Somehow we transform him into something that he is not. You know, maybe I'd expect this from non 
church-going people or, or non-believers, people that have not been influenced by the Word or have no access to the Bible. You know, maybe I would expect that from them, but then, then, then what about believers? I mean, why, why do believers do this in this, this transformation of Jesus, this migration of, of who Christ is? And I think this happens because we respond to more of what sounds spiritual rather than what is truthful. Uh, for example, truth is sometimes spiritual. And like, for example, uh, it is God's will to worship him. That sounds spiritual. And it's also truth that God desires us to worship. Him. But sometimes truth is just truth. And it may not sound all that fun. It may not sound all that great. Because sometimes truth is just truth. Like, for example, the wages of sin is death. And that's scary. The wages of sin is death, and that, that, that can cause us even to tremble. And maybe it might even want to make us want to say, well, that's judgmental. But yet the Bible says that if there is sin in our life, and we are choosing our sin over God or over Jesus, then the result of that, the fruit of that sin, is what? It's everlasting damnation. And that's not probably that popular to talk about, but it's truth. That the word of God gives us that we understand. And so we, we, we have to ask the question, are we, are we tempted to transform Jesus into something that's acceptable or more palatable or easy to accept? Because, you know, it's going to be, you know, received better rather than saying that this is who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is the pathway to holiness, that Jesus is the divinity of God. It is the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was born of a virgin birth and he lived in, and did ministry among us. And there is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There is a resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a promise that in his coming that we will all bear witness of his divinity. Amen. Is it is it this equally amazing fact of the doctrine of the Trinity that is the doctrine of incarnation, that Jesus Christ is God and man, yet one person forever? I love the way this one man puts it. He writes about it like this. Uh, J.I. Packer, he said it this way. He said, here are two mysteries for the price of one, the plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But yet how easy we we transform Jesus sometimes to something else. How easy the gospel of life takes over. And, and so we're asking, what's he mean here? I mean, the apostle, when, when, he, when he speaks of another gospel, he speaks of another gospel. And, and in fact, it takes me back to an old musical from the early 70s or late 60s that tried to morph Jesus into something that he was not in a movie or actually a musical called Jesus Christ Superstar. And what, what they projected Jesus as there is they projected him as a liberal. They projected him as a person that was not of a virgin birth. They projected Jesus who did not perform miracles or was not resurrected from the dead. You see, they, they presented him just simply, simply as just a good man. I'm wondering about the precariousness 
of that. I mean, that kind of move and that kind of migration. You see, it's not a power move or a sudden ruthless takeover. The gospel, this sort, comes by a thousand little nicks, a thousand changes. And subtlety is is the price here. Subtly is the influence. And, and so what becomes acceptable used to not be acceptable because of the migration. It's like the frog in the kettle. It is slowly, slowly cooked to the point that truth is dead. We look at 2 Corinthians. Go there with me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In just the, the time that we have here uh, this morning. Just a few moments here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Looking at verse 2. Read this with me this morning. You yourselves are our letter. Listen to what Paul is writing here now. He's saying, listen, here's the reminder. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts. Known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our human hearts. You see, we're reminded this morning that the pathway to holiness is Jesus Christ. The pathway to holiness is, is that, that we are we are. Examples. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we cannot, let me say it like this, we cannot get more of God than we get from Jesus. Did you know that? And we cannot experience God more deeply than we do in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the example. He is our Savior. And we lift Him this morning as such. As Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of culture, not the Jesus this palatable, but the Jesus of truth that transforms and changes lives for all eternity. That's the Jesus that we're going to worship this morning. That we're going to recognize as we partake in communion in just a few moments and in our response time. We want to worship Jesus that changes and transforms lives. I want to invite us to do that. Just to move in a, a time into a time of, of, of worship right now. and A time of response to the Lord as we prepare for, for Holy Communion. What I'd like us to do is stand together as we just reflectively and worshipfully come before the Lord this morning and, and, and be reminded that as we partake that, that this, this bread this morning represents Christ's broken body who was laid down for us, sacrificed himself, that we might have everlasting life and that the juice represents the blood of Christ. That in that blood, we just get a glimpse, the depth of God's love for us. That he would give it all, not just a drop, but he would give all his blood for us if he needed to. And we're thankful because Jesus loved us that much. He loves you that much. This is Jesus of the Bible that we lift and we worship this morning.